welcome to the Live Free Podcast with your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest, Miss Jocelyn Duke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Miss Jocelyn Duke. She's a New York native and San Diego transplant. She sits down and we have a conversation about printmaking, other people's shoes, mushrooms, art process, meditative states, Operation Midnight Climax, evolution of culture, and skin fruit. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mrs. Jocelyn Duke. Thank you very much for doing the show, coming up, <laughs> driving all the way out to the East County from, from North Park. Kind it was of nice. A... I love driving out here because of the big boulders. Like, it always reminds me of, this is the reper- most reperted reference, I think, but um, the never-ending story in that rock eater. <laughs> you know how many never-ending story references have been coming up lately? Um, it's because I think they're remaking it, right? Aren't they remaking it? I think so. Are they? Mm-hmm. Possibly. Um, two times, I think this last week, somebody mentioned a dog looking like the the big creature. What's it? The big white dog dragon creatures? What is that thing called? Balcor or oh maybe some some fucking shit like that. I don't know. I just remember him being big, white, and stuffy. <laughs> <laughs> so you were born in Indiana, right? I was. <laughs> I was, but are you gonna admit to that? Well, I guess like by birth, I'm a Midwesterner, but not by growing up. Yeah, you don't feel like that's like your hometown. No, because I only lived there for like six months or a year. Oh, okay. I was born. My dad was going to grad school at Purdue, and um, he's in the army. So after grad school, we moved to Alabama, and then Alabama, Maryland, Maryland, New York. Army brat, huh? To up until four. My yeah. dad passed away when I was four. Oh. We moved to New York because my mom, my mom is born and raised in New York. We have her whole family moved outside. Oh, like what part of New York? West Point. So like an hour, forty minutes, forty-five minutes, an hour um, north on the Hudson. I've uh, I've been to. Buffalo. I've driven through Buffalo. <laughs> I went to I went to Niagara Falls when I was a kid. Yeah, that's what I did, so that's why we drove through it. I've never been to the city though. That's rad. That city is amazing. I wanted to. I was supposed to go to Philly this last month. Or did this you go month. for your show? No, I wasn't able to. We, oh. um, my stepdad passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so I I stuck around and and took care of family and that sort of thing. Um, and. I ended up Skyping the show, though, which I've been meaning to do a blog about it, but I just uh, had the, the gallery put their computer on Skype, uh-huh. and so I was there, like, Max Headroom virtually, you know what I mean? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Dude, so I got there... to I got to have a conversation with people, and... Was there a good turnout? Yeah, it was oh, nice. nice, yeah. I uh, I did an interview over the Skype with a, an art blog girl who showed up. Oh, neat. Just posted that up, but... Um, Billy's kind of a... It's a. I went to school there for like six months, and it wasn't a school for me at all. So I tra- That's when I transferred up to Boston. But um, when I was living there for six months, I really didn't like the city too much. But every time I go back, because my best friend lives there, I become more and more enamored by it. Like um, they have the most amazing art malls, like because they have this big city funding. I believe that just. Their art walls are amazing, hmm. and they're doing tours. And I, I really would have liked to have seen it, like just seeing like the old historic buildings and the way that the the city's put together. Like I've been to Pittsburgh. A bunch of my most of my relatives oh, yeah, are yeah. from are from Pittsburgh. 
I've been out there, but it's totally different, I'm sure, from the from Philly to to Pittsburgh. I've never been to Pittsburgh. So you, you went to art school in Boston? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What uh what did you study? What was your what was your My focus? Yeah. Um was printmaking. What uh, so like screen <laughs> printing? Um I or did, all sorts. I did very, very little uh silk screen. But it was more intaglio. Like so I was working with copper plates. Uh-huh. And then I tried to do lithography, but I just wasn't like I never really got into the feeling of the limestone, which is completely unfortunate because the quality of print that um, lithography has is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. But I think I just really like the hardness of the copper and working with copper and like the process of wiping down those plates. And yeah, I that's a str- I don't I don't quite know how that how that works. I know that there's you know like a you etch into it, right? Like scratch into it. You scratch into it, but there's like there's so many different ways of making a mark into those into plates, especially those plates like sugar lifts, and it just it's really beautiful. So it the process is really beautiful. It's just this whole like process, and it's very meditative. Uh-huh. But it's also a lot of labor. So I used to get lost in that labor. Yeah. Like the concept of like putting on a ground and then making your design and then putting in the acid bath and letting it sit in the acid bath and then bringing it out and washing it down. Like, it's awesome. And then the more, like, I used to put my uh, work, like, I would go in different layers. Like, I would do hard ground, soft ground, and, like, go into another ground. And then I would, like, with each ground, I would put it in the acid bath and then I would take, and then I would put on a new ground and then put it, that again in the acid, so I kept on putting in the acid bath, and the more you put it in, your first marks get deeper and deeper. Uh-huh. It so it cool. eats away. It eats away at those scratched areas. Oh, and, yeah. and starts digging. Wow, that's mm-hmm. interesting. So I like yeah. that process. You did four years out there in Boston. Yeah. So so you're doing. I say so fucking so much. It drives me fucking bonkers. Um, that's I'll say so before all my my questions. So when you hear. So, you know, like, a new <laughs> I got you. Coming up. No, it was cool. I mean, Boston was cool. It what? was a weird program. Like, this, I went to the School of the Museum of Fine Arts, and it was affiliated with Tufts. So with I got what? With Tufts University. So I got my liberal arts education, like, like my, like, psych and, like, art history and everything uh-huh. would be over at Tufts, and my degree is a Tufts degree, but... I spent most of my time at the art school. And the way, the unique thing about the museum school was that there is no structure. So you would have all these people come in, and then within the first six months, people would rapidly just drop out. Because there's, like, you have to you have to fight for everything as far as, like, getting your classes, and you really have to stay on top of yourself. Like, it teaches you a lot about um, the it works as though, like, if you want to be an independent artist, like, here's your training. Like, you have to be on top of yourself. That, that's it. a good a good stepping stone, I would imagine, like, because you got to be really self-motivated to do you have the, to. Yeah. I mean, there the were, full-time art thing. There would be kids who would be, like, like, they wouldn't, they would miss all their classes because they were never, we were never, attendance didn't exist. You know, it's like, you showed up and you didn't show up. And at the end of each semester, you would have a review board. And if the people on your board didn't agree with what it is they saw, you were fucked. Wow. So, and it was cool because, like, a lot of art schools, you'll go in and be like, oh, I want to be a painting major. So you start painting, and then, like, then you finally discover, like, something like 
metalsmith, you know, and you're like, oh, this really like speaks to me. And if you decide to change your major, like you have to start all over again, where this school was completely open and they wanted you to use all the different materials possible. Which makes sense. Uh, in the last podcast, we were talking about how like creative people are, have a tendency to turn into kind of like hobbyists, where we want to get our hands in everything, like anything creative we want to try out and, yeah. and see what works for us. And that's sort of why I'm doing this thing. It's just another like sort of creative avenue to to get people's stories out there or do something a little bit different. Yeah. And I know you were. I read one of your interviews um, talking about how how being a professional artist can get lonely or you know you, you have you're forced into uh, a large chunk of of solitude right mm -hmm. yeah and it's like a lonely happiness like it's a really happy place but yeah it's also really yeah. lonely right and it it becomes like you know you get cabin fever yeah. sort of like so uh, when I you need go some out human there, interaction yeah right? so when you decide to go out you're just like ah <laughs> <laughs> this is me yeah right, right? and totally. people are like whoa Relax. <laughs> Let me check on these wild dogs. Hey, come here. You good? I think you're being good. They're sharing food. Um, we have a, we have a dog pound in here today. Now they're being wild. Hey, Milo. <laughs> Is that Milo? Yeah. Oh, shithead. Dogs are so tough. All right, let's relax again. So you move out to San Diego, two thousand three. Two thousand two or three. Two thousand two. No, yeah, 2002. And you're coming out of art school. Are you like, what are you, what are you thinking that you're gonna? Or do you already know you're gonna do art full time? No. Let's make you. You do art full time, right? Now I do, yeah. Right. What was your thinking coming out? Uh, like, how did you think you were gonna pay the bills? Well, I was being interviewed with a job before I moved out here, and then um, halfway through driving, well, I was in Utah, and I got a phone call saying I didn't have a job, so. On your way here? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> so I was just like, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll find something. I always uh -huh. do. Yeah. So I did, and that didn't work out. It was real. It was a weird, it was a weird company I worked for. I, I knew I wanted to be stay in the creative field, so that job was a silk, at a silkscreen company. Mm -hmm. And, like, at first they put me in administration. They wanted me to do their books. I was like, what the fuck? Like, I am not a bookie at all like <laughs> yeah. I don't understand numbers people like and you're gonna have like I was in charge of this business's finances I'm not someone who should be in charge of someone else's business you know, I don't know yeah. I mean like I'm, for instance I'm responsible so with my finances to, to a certain extent but I convinced them to hire me and then as I worked there I weaseled my way back into the silkscreen department uh -huh. where we printed like key fobs and just like commercial stuff like yeah and Did you get to use any of the materials for your own stuff? No, not really. Cause I tried to, but it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And um, I got tired of working there, and I went to an art gallery. And then when I was working at an art gallery, I met this person who introduced me to his daughter, who was an interior designer. And then she got me a job as an interior designer, and I started doing That's that. That's cool. And that was fun. What art gallery? It's not there anymore. Oh, Wentworth. Wentworth Gallery. Yeah, this Where was that? Chain. <laughs> in La Jolla. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. None of the stores are in La Jolla or galleries are in La Jolla anymore. Yeah. They were like they were people that sold Peter Max. I'm not a Peter Max fan. No, I get the whole La Jolla. I know the whole because yeah. my, my studio is right there on Prospect. Oh yeah. So I was in the. It was right next to the Wyland Gallery. Yeah. 
I was right. I was actually in the alleyway back behind there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I only stayed there for a few months, and then that this other job fell on my lap. And I did. It was awesome. Like for a while, like I worked in as an interior designer for five years, and I learned a lot. I did a lot. I did a lot of good shit. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I tend to have a short fuse. So, short fuse. Yeah. <laughs> like you get angry quick. No. Well. Okay, that's not a fair statement. Like I can, I can put up with a lot, but then I have my breaking point, and when I do, it's just like. Fuck Once you. the fuse is done, it's explosion time. Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> I just. So I need to make sure I don't let this interview run too long. No, no, I'm not a dick like that. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, um, I had this interior designer, and she just wasn't pulling her weight, and I told her, and she. Her feelings were hurt, and she ran to HR, and HR oh, drove me to <laughs> into um, an office, and they lectured me, and I didn't appreciate that. Not yeah. for all the work that I had done for them. Yeah. And um, so I gave it 24 hours, and I went in, and I, I quit. Oh, shit. I like, Have yeah. you always been the type of person to go ahead and just speak your mind, like if you feel a certain way about something? Yeah, I guess I have. Out. And people keep telling me that, you know, I'm... I am very, like, I'm, I don't know, people keep telling me that, but I don't think I am. But maybe just I'm so used to it. That you're opinionated? Yeah. Is that what you were telling But I don't feel like I'm an, like, I know opinionated people that are assholes, but I think I'm a nice opinionated person. Right, right. <laughs> well, I mean, there's something to be said. A lot of people have a tendency to keep their opinions to themselves because, because of concern about what other people think about them or, uh, I just you know, call, like. I call it as I see it. Yeah. And if I don't like, but don't, you don't do it maliciously, is what you're saying. No, you, know? you don't have any ill intent. No, not at all. I'm, I mean, no. I'm the same way, but I'm actually trying. I've no, been trying it comes from a very genuine place. <clears throat> I've been trying lately to just shut up a lot, like in certain positions where I typically would implant my opinion because yeah. I I tend to have the thinking that my opinion is more valid in some circumstances, you know. It's okay with me if it's okay with you, but I know if but it's not okay. It's more about you already ate. No, or different just, food than it's normal it's, food. That's a dominant thing. It's like I'm gonna go into your house and eat. Uh, food. Okay, yeah, totally. I'm like, nope. That's he would do the same thing. He's being a shithead. You're a shithead. Nice. Don't worry about it. This one will be fucking wild too. Hey. Come on. We'll edit all the bad dog parts out. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of your work, like some of the processes you do. Um, I know I visited the studio for the first time. Yeah. A couple months ago now, it seems like. It seems like a couple months ago. Yeah. And I, I really like the repetitive pattern pieces, mm -hmm. um, particularly the grid ones. I guess, is that is that still considered the repetitive pattern? Like there's Wait, are the, you talking there's about the, the wiener and vagina oh, ones. Oh, yeah, those and, multiple images. Uh, multiple squares, and then there's the, the sort of more patterny ones, like with the with the line work overlapping each other. And, right. Um, there's, I'm very into repetition. I mean, I think I, like, I think I paint very much like a printmaker. Or, like, you know, like, even if you do silk screens, you, know, you have, like, you use multiple colors, you have multiple layers. Yeah. And I think my painting style is a lot like that. I don't, I can blend, but I... I don't do it yeah. as much. Do you think, um, 
Do you think you get something out of doing that repetitive pattern over and over again that's different from, say, like if you were doing some sort of figurative work or like some yeah. sort of character-based thing or something? I, yeah, I do. I mean, like, it's definitely safe. Like, there's definitely, like, a safety in it. And it's calming for me. Um, and, you know, but whenever, like, with if you look at the those penis and vaginas and, like, the, that whole series, uh -huh. how it's repetitive, like, even though I'm drawing the same object, like, each object is different, so every time I go into a new box, like, there's a little excitement because I don't know how it's going to ultimately turn out yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. But I know that it will turn out the way I kind of want it. Like, what, happen what happens halfway through? So you're, like, you have, let's say you have, how many little square boxes do you think would be in one of those pieces? I don't know, maybe, like... Thousands? No, like, maybe, like... I think there could easily be a thousand. <laughs> maybe. Because it's, like, a hundred by... It's, let's call it 500 at least. Yeah, no, so I... So it's at least see, 500 little drawings. Yeah, on one... What happens when you get to 250? I get bored. I mean, there's some days where I super focus, and there's other days where I have, like, extreme ADD. Yeah. So... Like, I'll start drawing, but I think what happens is I'll, like, I'll draw, and I'll start getting into it, and then I'll laugh at each little drawing, especially if I do something, you know, like, if when I'm doing the boobs, butts, penis, and vagina, like, all those little drawings, like, there's a certain immaturity to it mm -hmm. that I'm doing, and it makes me laugh. Like, right, yeah, I'll totally. be like, oh, look at that boobie, and look at her nipple. Like, oh, <laughs> no, I want, okay, I did this, now I'm going to do that, right, you know? And right. So, like, my mind is constantly laughing at what I'm doing. One of the um, sort of themes that keeps being replayed through the podcast as I talk to artists and like as I have artistic like philosophical discussions is um, the sort of meditative phase that you get to at a certain point when you've been doing um, a repetitive motion over and over again. And I sort of relate it to like a, a monk doing a mantra or something or like saying om over and over again. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I'll tell people that I do the same painting over and over again. That it just turns out looking a little bit different. That it's just brushstroke, brushstroke, brushstroke. Mm -hmm. And for instance, like when I'm doing the hair that I do, it's all just brushstroke. It's mm -hmm. not. It's not a lot of thinking. And I kind of get into like a sort of like Zen without because I don't have any other definition for like that word. Like it slows but down time a little bit. Yeah, it goes into a different yeah. form of of mindfulness with the like your brain works on a different level. And mm -hmm. I think it, it's it's something similar to the way people who meditate or do yoga or any of those things where you sort of shut out other parts of, of life and like stresses on your brain and your mm -hmm. brain just has some extra time to do something special and we get some reward from that, right? Like there's something calming and, yeah. and sort of uh, therapeutic even. Mm -hmm. I think it's therapy for me. It's, it's time the, to it's shut my brain down. Yeah, it's definitely. I think and that's I, why I like those, like I, those grid paintings I do do where I layer the paint. You know, you know the lines that uh -huh. I know. I think that's it's very meditative. Like it, I'm able to shut down. Um, and even though like I don't totally shut down, like sometimes I'm in that moment at that moment. But oftentimes I just let my, allow my mind to wander. Mm -hmm. that's I nice. feel like sometimes I'll go back and look at a painting and be like, "Holy shit, I made that!" Even though I know I physically went through the process of making it, mm -hmm. I don't actually remember doing it. I you know what I mean? There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, right? And that's that same thing. It's almost like a dream state, like how we have dreams at night that are so intense we wake up and remember them and then they're gone. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Like we don't remember the process that went through, that we went through. So. That happens more in my sketchbook than my paintings. Really? Like I, my paintings and my sketchbooks are like two different people. In in what way? I think because my journals are very private and sacred. You know, like I'm allowed to, you know, um, open up there without being judged. Uh -huh. I guess. Whereas my paintings, because they're so big and in your face, I'm more concerned about keeping up a guard. Right. So, Which, again, oh. before we started, that's what we were talking about. Yeah. Hold on. Time out. <laughs> You're doing so good, pal. Oh. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so about not being guarded with, with our opinions and our ideas and things. Like, this mm -hmm. podcast is all about being honest and, and, and letting, letting go of some of that control mm -hmm. that, we, that we, people have a tendency to, to only let out the information that, that we want let out, you know? Like, very guarded in particular about yeah. certain things. Well, and I know I've been that way before yeah. in the past. I mean, I'm a, in every day, like, I'm just a very private person. But, um, so I'm, I never let out too much about my private, you know, life, but I'm very also in your face, like, I want to have fun, and I love the interaction of people. Not that I'm not fake out, by all means, it's uh, just I keep myself safe, there, I guess. There's something about artists that we need that, uh, that alone time. Well, I think because when we, when we decide to paint a big canvas, there's a piece of us that goes on that canvas. Right. And, um, you kind of, exp like... The more work you do, the more exposure you get. So then people form those different attachments of exposure. Do you and think sometimes we, we hide behind the work? Like we're so focused on the work and like the work is supposed to be like what are our voices? Like this is supposed to be like what we're telling the world, you know? Like this is what we're sharing with the world that sometimes I want. And this is all just off the cuff. Like I've never really went through this process before, but it's kind of like we... Uh, we don't want to do the talking. Like we don't want to get out there and explain to people what what our ideas are necessarily yeah. in a verbal context. Mm -hmm. That we make these things as like, here, here's these things to look at. Now I don't have to deal with you. Right. <laughs> you know? Like yeah. I already here, I already told you everything that I know. Look, it's right here in this picture. So leave me alone now. But now but then you have this conversation with the viewer and the viewer starts having a conversation with the piece and the piece isn't talking back, but the viewer no. Yeah. I I guess so, because it is it is another form of conversation. Yeah. That's, I, yeah. I always, like, I get kind of mad when people, when people ask me about, like, what the work's about and, like... Yeah, like, like you have... Who, um, I was listening to an interview once. I think it might have been Chamberlain. Um, what's that artist, Chamberlain? Is it him Chamberlain? Or he does the boats and, like, he molds things, melts things together. Anyway, yeah, yeah. he, he uh, once said that exact, that exact thing, which I totally forget it was. So high. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot that where I was going. And I don't even think it's about necessarily being high per se. I'm sure that doesn't help, but it's going into those other frames of thought. Like you just ran down some other portal. And of then memory. I saw all these different tunnels to yeah. take. Like, oh, I'm trying to, to go. To the That's what's good. I can edit this and jump back. And like, I was trying to remember the term white privilege. Uh, in one of the last interviews, and I just I couldn't find it. It took me like two What's minutes. What's white privilege? I guess my uh, to it would be like a frame of thought. Um, it's the idea that being uh, a minority 
presents itself as a as a particular um, like stress or or ailment. Let's see if I could use the right terminology. Basically, that that by being white, we have one less stress to deal with uh, throughout oh. the day in not being judged by by your skin color right away. Now it's way deeper than that, but like as yeah, a general a overall yeah. thing. And we we've talked about race in, in every almost every podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were my uh, my buddy Yomi. He's uh, he's black. He's from Nigeria, and so we had this conversation about white privilege. I I had had a discussion with some people in Oakland about it, and I was I, I don't want to digress too much because I've already kind of dove into the topic. But um, so like the the idea is like let's say let's say you and a black girl walked into a store, mm-hmm. and the black girl got eyed out. You know, kind of like instant, like, like that automatic assumption that like she's gonna jack something or like that she needs to be watched or you know, mm-hmm. and what that that stress does to somebody, yeah, like just that one extra thing that they have to think about during their day or dealing with the cops, you know, mm-hmm. like that's a that's like a typical one. I like putting myself in those situations, um, like to try to walk in their shoes. Like there'll be times where. I'll go into, like, I'll be like, I know I am white. Like, I am very Irish white. So I, I like being able to go to, like, places like, like Chula Vista, where it's, uh-huh. like, predominantly Hispanic. Uh-huh. And when I walk in, I, like, I know I'm the minority. And I like, I like being able to kind of feel, I'll never be able to feel that kind of stress that I think other colored skin people, yeah. like, do So, feel. like, you thought about it, right? Like, oh, you yeah, I thought like... about it, because I don't, you know, like, I know I know that I'm not a prejudiced person, but, like, there'll be times where, like, I catch myself doing what society has taught me, you right. know, or or what society has, like, tried to unteach you. Like, it's it's kind of, you know, so yeah. to remind myself to try to understand, you know, like, try to put myself in this position. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. And that's what really, like... So I wanted to have a lot of these types of conversations on the podcast with mm-hmm. people because that's what it, it it boils down to, like understanding other cultures. Like, obviously, we're going to be different, and we're going to classify one another and put each other into these particular little boxes or whatever. Yeah, I think. Well, it's important to me as if I'm going to be an artist to understand like everything. I think it makes your art better, like because because I think as an artist and I think as any creative, you know, you it is about pulling away all these different layers uh-huh. and like getting to the root of like who you are. Yeah. Especially if you want to paint about it or like paint about, I don't know if you want to like see, to see the world, you know, you just really have to be honest with yourself. <laughs> you know what does that too? Is mushrooms. <laughs> we, uh, oh my God. Let's Dude. see. How, how okay. can we set, do you want to try to set this up? Um, Without going to jail. (laughs) So we we got some mushrooms. Right, they grew out of the ground, right? And we found found them under some cow patties in a field somewhere. And we gave you some. You did. You handed them to me for free. And um, then a week later was when we took them. Right. So I talked about I talked about my my mushroom trip on the the first podcast. First podcast, yeah, I think so. Yeah. One of the first ones. Well, you know, like with some I'm not, the last time I took mushrooms, Michael and I smuggled them into Mexico for like, honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Which is completely like weird, right? But right. I put it in toothpaste and we went down. <laughs> That's so funny. So talk about how you put it in the toothpaste. Um, I wrapped it in plastic. Well, I went out and got like a Crest tube and I <laughs> took a razor blade and I cut it down, the, like the back middle, uh -huh. and I took out some of the toothpaste and I took the mushroom, put it in a plastic bag, and wrapped it up and put it in, like, and then inserted it into the tube and rolled up the end of the tube <laughs> oh, so man. it looked like so you, you know, couldn't see the cut at all yeah it so pretty. it looked you know like you know when you get your toothpaste like it's coming to an end did you, you youtube that did you youtube it before no <laughs> you just already i was it. nervous as shit i was like i'm a drug smuggler into mexico <laughs> <laughs> yeah which is typically the opposite right right so yeah so we took them in Mexico, and I hated it. I was like, this fucking blows. Like, stop the rocking. I hated it. Like, I just did not want to be. Were you on there. a boat? No, we were, we had this, like, hut on the, on the coast near, in Tulum. And it was rocking? Well, in the hut there, they had a swinging bed. So we were laying on the swinging bed, and I was like, stop, just stop the rocket. I can't, I can't deal with it. So it was high stress? Uh, it was. I didn't like it. So I was nervous about taking this batch, but this batch, like for me, I couldn't stop laughing my ass off. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. But I wasn't having the visuals. It was more like um, feeling sensations. Like I could feel my hand pulsing like more. Like I felt like I was growing or something. How, uh, how much did you eat? I think I ate an eight. Ate the whole thing? But it was like increments throughout the day. Like we started at oh, 10 really? and then we went into... And you kept eating the them throughout the day? Yeah. Interesting. And then we went to a bar and we came out with a couple of cherry bombs. And I went up. <laughs> I left the bar. I was like, okay, I can't talk to the bartender anymore. And I went out to um, the parking lot and I started looking at all the signs. And I think that's when like hallucinogenic might have been happening. But just things just started looking... Weird. And then I couldn't stop laughing. I was like, just too much. <laughs> <laughs> I have a hard time dealing with public. I have a hard time. Well, I uh, I ate that same batch. I only I ate two grams of them and ate them all at once and, in a sandwich. <laughs> and it was good. I, I didn't taste them at all. And then yeah. I, I walked up this mountain. That, uh, there's a trail that goes up... Uh, like another mile up, uh -huh. and uh, so I went up there, and and everything was like electric, and has like that glow around it. Like everything looks like really high def, mm -hmm. you know, like those weird high def TVs that look all fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> everything was like that. I watched the Glenn Beck show, which was fucked up, and uh, it was funny. Like people on TV just seemed to be saying things that had some sort of relevance to to hallucinating. Have you seen Holy Mountain yet? You watch that no, you? I didn't watch it, you but it's on it's on Netflix, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. A... Seems like it stressed me out. Just watch it stoned. Oh, like, okay, I could do that. That's no problem. I mean, if you, I would watch it stoned or not stoned. For the if you've never seen that movie, um, once, and then after that, like after you know what you're going to be experiencing while you're watching this movie, uh -huh. like then you then could take mushrooms. Yeah. I uh, I got in the sensory deprivation tank that day. Oh yeah, <laughs> but it was at the end of my trip, so my thinking was like, all right, I've gone through this like stressful day, then I'll get in there and relax. 
Yeah, George and Michael were laughing their ass off when they heard that you were going to go do that and you had never done the isolation tank. I wish I would have eaten the <laughs> mushrooms like, and what? got right in the tank. They, it would have been way better. They're like, that's insane. <laughs> you know what happened, though? As I think I used up all of my, my good oh. brain power before I got so there. So you just tired. Yeah, I, but it was when I got in, it was the first time I had felt relaxed the entire day. Oh. Like, it was high stress from the get-go. <laughs> You know, like there's some stress that I get when when hallucinating uh-huh. with I have some sort of like angst against people who aren't, you know? Well, it's because they're on just a different plane than you are. And like, yeah. how can you, you can't even communicate with anyone. I mean, if they're not on this. Like I went to a concert and I really wanted to take E, but my friends that I was with, had they just don't, they never did it uh-huh. and they don't do it or so... I knew that if I had taken it well, with my group of people, I would be on a completely different plane than they were, you uh-huh. know, and it wouldn't have been, it would have, wouldn't have been comfortable for, I don't know, I would have overanalyzed it, so I didn't take it. Yeah. Just so we could all be, like, so we could all have fun together. It's weird when that happens, like, it really feels like we're on two separate, yeah. like, uh, planes of reality. Yeah. And what, and so... A lot of people who who are interested in uh, like natural hallucinogens and things are trying to figure out if is it the drug that makes us crazy and does all those things, or is it or are all those like planes of reality actually in existence, but we we don't have the senses to pick them up. But when we when we ingest these certain natural materials, it that like all this it well it allows it's almost like getting a, a new sense. So like. Like, a blind person being able to see. Right. You know, like... I would like to think it's both. I don't know. It's, it's almost like how we can't see gravity, but let's say we ate a jelly bean, and when we ate the jelly bean, all of a sudden we could visualize like we were gravity. Floating. Like, we could see its its material structure. You yeah. know? So, so let's say these things that we see while on mushrooms, like, the way, the way uh, our visuals work. Like, is that something that we're tuning into, or is it really just that we're fucked up? Because you know, there is a, a school of thought that, that thinks that, like, it's almost like the idea of, uh, like, uh, multiple universes in physics. Right. That these universes exist side by side by side by side, all in this same area, but we just have a different frequency in between that, that this reality that we, we see is something totally separate from from some other reality uh, in, a, in a separate universe. But there was a guy in the 60s, he had the school, the LSD school. Like in Timothy school. Leary? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, that's, like, his, he thought that, right? Like, if you open, if, like, you kept, this is a drug that allows you to open up and, like, really see reality. Yeah, I'm sure, I, I, you know, I would say that anyone on that sort of train of thought probably stems from Leary. Yeah. And then the scientist who created, didn't he take a shitload of it? Yeah, well, they when they made it, they those fuckers didn't know uh, it was, so how like much to take. Out. They were t- drinking like glassfuls. Yeah, and yeah. that's what they were giving it to soldiers <laughs> and shit, like a test. Oh. There's a there's a I, I I won't be able to remember the name of the the CIA operation, but they was uh, it's some sort of sexual reference because they had like a like a a whorehouse where they. They gave a bunch of prostitutes and a bunch of like Johns a bunch of acid. Uh, I'm not gonna. It's really, Operation. Um, 
climax, something climax. I'll I'll try to find the article and then I'll I'll say what it is right here. Okay. We'll, so that we don't like butcher it. The name of the CIA program is Midnight Climax. Uh, you can go Google that shit. But yeah, they uh they just gave these fucking dudes that went to go get hookers or something uh, like glassfuls of acid and just fucked <laughs> them up. And they finally figured out what was going like that obviously they only needed a drop as opposed to yeah, a whole glass. A cup Could you full imagine? Of acid. Holy Christ! I would I wouldn't do acid again. Like I did it a I've bunch it. in my in my high school days. It's so bad. It's just so you know. I think it's those these like chemical drugs, like mm-hmm. like man made sort of synthesized drugs that are synthesizing real things mm-hmm. in nature that are really put a bad name on these things that. Like mushrooms and marijuana and yeah. like ayahuasca and all these naturally occurring hallucinogens, that it gives all those a bad name because it's like it turns into like a drug addict type of thing, yeah. as opposed to like somebody who's you know really interested in expanding their mind or or you know understanding more about themselves. Because you know, you're talking about art and how when you get into those process of making things, you really have to examine yourself. That's sort of how that's how we jumped over. Mm-hmm. And and I think these these plants in particular that cause these reactions in our brain uh, really force us to look at ourselves in the environment that we're in. We we get that strange connection to nature and like other people, and we sort of examine how how we're kind of douchey in some of the things that we do, or we realize, oh, I could have a, a better relationship if I didn't act a certain way. Like it makes you go through those processes yeah. and really re-examine what you think is real and and what is meaningful to you. And I think creative people go through that every day. Just in, there's something in that that meditative phase that when I, it's I totally, quieting I, of the mind. I agree with you, but it frustrates. Well, I like, I don't know how it fo- how this is gonna follow. I think like because I think when an artist like a real when a real artist, not that you, like people aren't real artists, but you know. People who have to make art, right? Can, yeah. can you put it that way? Yeah, the people. Yeah, that's people crazy. who physically so have to do it. Those people that do that, like they go through this like process and they break themselves down. Like they crack, they have to crack themselves open like every day. Mm-hmm. Where, like, it just frustrates me that there's some other people out there and they make douchey art and like they never go. Th- I know that sounds really shitty. <laughs> I know that sounds so shitty. No, well, <laughs> but, you I know, th- it's just frustrating. It's like. There's like a lot of mediocre art that like is out there, and like I wonder, like, are those people really going through the process? Well, that's I I taught a class at City College, or I did like a lecture at the um, illustration class at City mm-hmm. College that uh, my buddy teaches, and that was one of my questions. I was like, "Why are you guys here?" Like, we did a question and answer. I did a little presentation. Mm-hmm. It's like now I want to know why you guys are here. Like, tell me what your guys's plans are. What what what. What brought you to be sitting in this class right now? Like, do you have to be here, or are you here to get a credit? You know what I mean? Like, I wanted mm-hmm. to know, like, right. how many of them were, like, that thing that you're saying, like, that real artist. Yeah. Like, and we talked about on the last podcast how it's important to sort of um, be supportive of, of people who are creating things, as mm-hmm. opposed to being like that, oh, that's a shitty artist, or that art's whack. Like, mm-hmm. whenever somebody's making something, even if it's shitty, like, I always want to be like, yeah, go for it. Yeah, me, me too. But me there too. is a difference between people who are just doing like something to be crafty for just 
a, a little bit of enjoyment or mm -hmm. to because they're bored or something and somebody who is making art every day or even an artist who there's artists who are like art show artists mm -hmm. that we used to call them is like people who don't make art all the time but when they get an opportunity to have like a group show somewhere or something all of a sudden they it. build a big collection of art yeah and not to say that there's anything particularly wrong with that but there is a separation between those people and people who are making art on a daily basis mm -hmm. and it's part of their their daily routine you know but it's not to say one is necessarily know, better see, than the other i know i know i know that i see a lot like i find amazing ideas and beauty and you know and everything but i just get frustrated with there's a lot of things I get frustrated with in the, with the art community. There will always be an element of cool school which will cause different fashion trends. And um, one artist that does what you think mediocre work just might be like hot, might be doing the hot shit, right? That moment where yeah. like it grabs people's attention. So, yeah. you know, like, so it's frustrating because... Yeah, so back to, back to that point. Do we, do we take it out on that artist? Like, because no, we were just, talking about that fr that frustration level, right? I I tend to take it out on society in general, not <laughs> on the artist. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like I feel like there are more followers in the world than leaders, and it frustrates me because I do follow certain things, but I really make a conscious effort to like be true to myself. So um, you gotta keep it real, right? I do for me, but that's just how I roll, you know. But I think it it seems to be a a creative types mentality because I'm the same way, and most so of the people I just, that I know are the same way so too. So I don't get frustrated with the arts; I get frustrated with um, society and what society deems as cool. Yeah. That year. Right. You know. Yeah. Um. So. It's hard to not let that stuff get in the way. Like to it like, does. It influences. To not focus on it, it too much. Totally influences my work. Really? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Like I'm very because I lo I love I love the I love fashion. I love the evolution of culture, and it's hard not to um, want to be part of that ride. You know. So uh -huh. yeah, my my art definitely um, shifts. So like I think it didn't. Um, the red period was at Picasso, right? When he did his red period, his blue period. Blue, blue yeah. period. I get so mad when people make that reference to the blue work that I make. Oh, really? I get it all the time. I've heard it so many times. If you if you see me, don't refer to Picasso and blue work. I don't. Not that there's any. I don't see anything. Well, yeah, there's yeah. nothing close. But if you see like four blue pieces together, like people whose limited art history knowledge or whatever will just lead them right to talk about something that. They know about mm -hmm. right which is a weird thing that happens in art circles anyway yeah you know like oh i know this little bit oh, i'll talk about that yeah you know? i go i i the um over intellectualized conversation with art drives me nuts it's pretty bad right i mean talk about like stealing the artist's soul you know yeah like let's break this down and let's put this in this box yeah like whoa it's kind of hard for me to do those sorts of things too, like to like discussing my work because for me each piece is like almost like a little diary entry, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's just some story that is, involves me and the, right, the people that are around me that has very little to do with the viewer at the end of the process. So when the work's up in the gallery, 
like the stories that I'm telling are all completely personal um, that have some sort of allegorical sort of metaphorical meaning to me. Mm -hmm. Now, my goal is to have people find something in the imagery that they, they relate to their story. Yeah. So that that my story really has no importance upon what I want people to view the work as. Yeah. And the very little amount that, that is there is typically the title. It doesn't even have the work itself. Like I want you to view the title, look at the work and then find something that relates to your own life in some way. And whether that happens or not, I don't know, but um, I know that's that's part of when I look at work that I, I look for, you know, like what relates to me, like, and there's aesthetic things and, you know, like mm -hmm. narrative should, things. You should approach an oil, an oil company and be like, let me paint one of your old oil tankers. That would be awesome with all the rest. I could probably just do that on my own. Oh, you know, like a, like a, like a truck tanker. That I have be, a, I have a water tower that mean, I paint up here. Oh yeah. So that would be, that's, that would suit your style. I really like these paintings. I'm surprised you've never been to Maine. What's uh, what's Maine like? Sorry, New Hampshire people. <laughs> I have a problem with your state for some reason. Every time I go in there, I have bad luck. So there's a lot of drug use, right? A lot of uh, or alcoholism. Um, I'm sure. I mean, I I heard when I was in high school, I heard heroin was a hot like drug amongst um, people in Portland. But yeah, I never. Well, saw I think that. all those people are do or they're all. Crushing up pharmaceuticals and snorting them. I don't it's know. It's crazy. I don't keep track of the main drug use. I mean, it's like <laughs> <laughs> that's not on your 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 main topic. No. Your, your main issues of the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I've heard a lot of like. I like visiting that state, but it's not like it's where my family lives. But it's never been home to me. Like New York's always been home. Yeah. So, um, I like visiting it, and I I love going to see my family. The city, this or this state, is more um, more conservative than than I think it's portrayed. Yeah, in the rest well, of the, San Diego the rest of the, is really conservative. Even to, all the way up through L.A., like really, yeah. The I'm, only like oh, Orange County and the only spots that tend to be actually liberal is like San Francisco, San Jose, and like a couple coastal cities like small coastal cities like when you look at it like like the way like the last uh voting cycle if yeah. you look at the way that the state voted it's super very... conservative even though we elect uh democrats for congress and i mean we just we just had a republican governor but you know i think i think it's it's portrayed much more liberal than like like open and free than it actually is, which I, I've only just recently noticed, but it makes sense because it's so expensive to live here, right? Mm -hmm. And people who who have money have a tendency to be more conservative because they don't want to pay any extra taxes, right? Right. So I think it's uh, I think it's shifting. I I hope that the perception is maybe I don't hope. I don't know. I don't. I still feel like this state is pretty liberal. Like there are definitely some ways. Like I. I I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Like coming from coming from the Northeast, like I think because you do because like for me, I grew up with seasons. Uh -huh. So when summertime hit, it was like summertime is here, and we need to get as much you know sun on our faces before the winter. Yeah, before we yeah. have to hibernate. Gotta get that vitamin D. Yeah, right. You know, helps your mood. Yeah. So I, when moving out here with the sun being out a lot more than coast, like I just feel like it is an extended. Like people are a little. 
there's a there's a lot more talkers than viewers. And there is something about the having seasons, like having like. Yeah, I mean, like when it started snowing, when the leaves started falling, and it started snowing, like you were pretty much stuck inside if you weren't like if you weren't going somewhere or if you wanted to play in the snow. That has a tendency so, to fuck up our brains too. Yeah, so when you're inside, you're like, what am I gonna do? I can watch TV. I can be on the internet. I can read a book. And like you're just like so you just read all the time. Yeah. Or or you drink all the time. <laughs> like That's what happens, right? Like San Francisco, it rains all the time. And they're uh like per capita the highest amount of books read per city and oh, yeah. and also the highest amount of drinkers per per city. I think I must have lost like fifteen pounds when I moved from um lost into here (laughs) I just I was drinking but I wasn't I mean I still drink but I like I wasn't drinking like I was when I was in Boston because I mean you would go somewhere and we one of my best friends works for a brewery and he would get like fresh brews right off the you know the tank yeah for us and we would just sit and drink these heavy beers that were amazing so I mean (laughs) probably a lot more moving around though out here too right that too yeah get to move on um what do you got lined up? Are you uh, are you going to be doing any shows in the future? Um, I'm going to be a part of a show down at Basic on the 30th. It's a group show. Uh-huh. I'm not really sure what it's for, but I'm going to show um, that Love Sick series that I had at the ballpark. Uh-huh. So that's got like a one-night event, and then I'm doing another thing December 16th at Quality Social for the Heart of America. Oh, cool. No, I'm kind of open. What up? I'm kind of like after that love series, I'm like, I'm working on this. I'm developing that series more. So I'm working on that. I saw um, somebody quoted you on Twitter about (laughs) artwork being uh, expensive. Oh, that was um, Lisa at Landmark. Is that what? (laughs) What did I say? I was really drunk. (laughs) Something about uh, the. Uh, your art's too expensive, you're not even dead yet? Or Oh, this guy. That wasn't, I didn't say that, this guy. This guy that um, became a nuisance to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> he he kept on calling me, calling me, and I was like, fuck this, like, this guy, like, I, I try not to judge people too much, and um, I knew he was a little off, but he, but you never know, like, he was claiming, like, he was going to buy stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'll entertain this for, you know, so long. And yeah. he got to the point where he wasn't buying anything. And um, he just kept calling me. And his last phone call was like, look, Jocelyn. <laughs> and I knew he was crazy. So I like, he asked me how much a painting was. And I was like, it's 10 grand for you. Because you're crazy. You're not gonna buy anything, and if you do buy something and drive me nuts, then all that was worth every penny. Yeah, of course. You know, if you don't, then no like loss for me except for time. And now I have a history with him. Like you have a story now. (laughs) And um, so he called me, and his final message was like, "Look, Jocelyn, you know, you gotta talk about your art. It's just too expensive, and you're not even dead yet." (laughs) And uh, once I heard that, I was like, "Fuck you." That's amazing. <laughs> Stop calling me. <laughs> like, I just and then he then he stopped calling me finally. Nice. So, let's hope he doesn't listen to the podcast. If he does, fuck that good. guy. 
What uh, what are you working on? You said you were you were looking to finish up a painting today, right? In the studio. Yeah. Do you want to? Is it top secret, or you want to talk about the the work that you're you're currently making? Um, right now, I think right now what I'm doing is I'm re really re-examining the art that I've done this past year mm -hmm. or two years, and um, because I went to I keep on talking about this one show that I saw in New York this past summer. Like, it, with every interview that I've done, I keep on bringing it up because it affected me that much. Like, yeah. it, it was a show that um, completely broke me. Like, it, it was called Skin Fruit at the, at the New Museum. Uh -huh. And Jeff Koons had curated the show. And he had pulled all this art um, from a private, like, a Greece, a Greek um, art collector. Um, I'm not going to say his name because I will butcher it. <laughs> uh, anyhow... It was like walking into all the greatest contemporary artists, like were sitting in like one building, and the subjects that it was just it was such a raw. Oh, it was so amazing! It like I was speechless. I I walked through the show and I had to get onto a plane and come back here, and I couldn't like I I didn't know how to think like <laughs> I didn't wow, it, yeah. it, like I was like are you I, this is. I still, I stumble over my words because it was just one of those shows. I was like, holy fucking shit fuck. Yeah. Like, I... Are you I, tearing up right now? Yeah, I am. <laughs> like, uh, Will we get some tears on the on the new podcast? That would be great. <laughs> anyway, it was, it was fucking an experience that I'm extremely grateful to have had to have uh, seen all amazing. this work. I'll, uh, I'll try to find some stuff online because I'll, I'll post a blog up with all this stuff so that people can kind of yeah, get an idea of what it's it called, was. It was called Skin Fruit. Um, in my like dreams of dreams, one day I would love to have, be like dining, you know, next to Cindy Sherman and, and bugging right. like, Jeff Koons with Mike Kelly across the way. Like I, those artists like have a huge influence on, yeah. on me and, and and there's a handful of other artists too. Yeah, I mean, I I would. So when I walk through that gal, when I walk through that museum, I just realized that I wasn't pushing myself hard enough. Like I, I saw stuff that they these are they really push themselves. So I went when I came back to studio, I looked at everything. I was like, I'm not pushing myself hard enough. Like I'm taking this painting to here, but I can take it to there, uh -huh. and I should really do that. And I. We were talking about attachments, like you kind of, or I, like when I do something, I have an attachment to each piece. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think what I realized is like I need to learn to not attach myself so much to these pieces and really let myself go open. Yeah. So I'm taking all these pieces that I feel like can be pushed more and doing it. Nice. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> and I mean, that's perfect. I and mean, it's sort of those things that happen that like we just we happen to open up one door and a whole brand new world opens up yeah you know where we uh like moments of revelation are like holy mm -hmm. shit i could do this thing i i talked about it on the last podcast that i did this huge that huge mural downtown mm -hmm. and as soon as i was done doing this humongous painting that something i'd never done before i was like holy shit i could do whatever i want yeah like, i'm a champion yeah. you know and it's uh it takes those those strange little moments to have us like, all right, step up to the next thing. But it's also that reexamination that we go through every day, mm -hmm. thinking, all right, how can I improve this thing that I do the same way every day, day in and day out? Yeah. Because again, it gets back to that meditative process where mm -hmm. it's like, 
I don't know if it's like this for every artist, but <clears throat> I make the same painting every day. Mm -hmm. It just, it turns out a little bit di different every time. It just looks slightly, slightly opposite. So you do what I do, but just for piece, whereas I put it all on one piece. It's all process. It, yeah. it doesn't even, it's not even about the structure of the thing mm -hmm. being done. Like it's, it's the problem solving that, that gets you through those steps. So let's, let's say, let's say art is a problem solving tool, right? Mm -hmm. And you, I think maybe you found a new way to fix something, right? Yeah, and, and, and just getting a little bit of inspiration somewhere, you found a new step to, to fix this one little problem that you didn't know how to fix. And it, it, it takes not trying to do those things, right? If, you, if you're sitting there thinking, how can I be a better artist? Or mm -hmm. how, can I, how can I improve this thing that I do? Like, it's just going to be blank. For, yeah. for me, it's blank. Like, I'm like, I don't know. I think you just have to trust in the process. And once you trust in the process, you know. Yeah. And that it's that trusting. Like, it's really hard to... Because I, I definitely have a tendency to have trust issues. So once, you know, you just trust it, Helps you open up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, I think that's good. You yeah. feel good? Yeah. You got to, got some of your stories out. Let's um let's plug let's plug your Twitter so people can find you on the internet. So your Twitter is at Jocelyn Duke. And what about the Facebooks? You want people to find you on the Facebooks? Yeah, let's let's plug your internet or your your website. It's JocelynDuke.com. And your Facebook. Jocelyn Duke. <laughs> it's easy, right? I'm, I'm pretty. It's pretty easy. Do you have an LLC? A what? An LLC. Like, no, 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 no. Oh, I'm an anarchist, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I have, I have one. Um, just because Michael wanted to make sure we were protected from things, so um, yeah, it's called Bunny Trouble. <laughs> bunny <laughs> but trouble? I never, yeah, I never use it. Um, have you had bunny issues in the past? No, I went to the, I went to Dog Beach, and um, I, there were these two dogs that were named Trouble and Bunny. And I was like, that is really weird two names for uh -huh. like dogs. And these are big dogs, like Trouble and Bunny. Like, wow, that's so weird. So then you now have an LLC. So I was I was walking back to the car and I'm like, that's so funny. And then Bunny Trouble kind of like switched. And... You uh you have a studio in North Park. Do uh do you guys ever think about doing like open studio things yeah. over there? Um, right at night our building's open, but and I did that. At, when I first got the studio, but then it just started becoming like a financial burden on us because we were supplying gear and yeah. whatnot. So, we so I was doing just, that in my studio yeah. too. So we just stopped and like the track, the foot traffic I was getting in, it was fine, but it started getting annoying. A little yeah. Bit. It wasn't worth the, the, yeah, the extra hassle. It wasn't. Um, all right, cool. Thank you very much for doing the show. Yeah. Thank Ms. you. Ms. Jocelyn Duke. We'll shake hands for the internet. <laughs>
music by Feist, past and present. <laughs> 